Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Love Offering Podcast. I am your host, Rachel Adams, and I'm so happy you're here with me today. Today's episode features Trudy Lineski. Trudy is a God girl, wife, mom of four, and living today better than yesterday. She's reaching for God's guidance in all areas of life as a vlogger, blogger, and speaker. With a heart for teen girls especially to lead, guide, and direct them to find their identity in Christ alone. Trudy is passionate about motivating women to live the best version of themselves through the plans God has for them. Trudy graduated from college in 2000 with a bachelor's in early childhood and elementary education. She taught in the Philadelphia school system for four years before returning to school to get her reading specialist degree at the University of Pittsburgh. In 2005, she began her journey as a mom, and the rest is still being written. Y'all, Trudy is one of my dearest friends on the planet. She has a heart of gold, and I cannot wait to share her story with you. We are chatting today about identity in our childhoods, and parenting, and health, and career, and in ministry. And we hope and pray that as you tune in today, that you too will discover who Christ made you to be and rest in your identity in Him. And regardless of your past or present reality, that you know you are loved as you are by Him. So I cannot wait for you to hear today's conversation. And without further ado, here is Trudy. Hey, Trudy, thank you so much for being on the Love Offering Podcast. Thank you for having me, Rachel. So we have been friends for many years and we are even neighbors. So it's so much fun to like actually chat with you and record our conversation today. And um, it's interesting though, that as long as we have known each other, I never really knew you until we traveled together for a long weekend to the She Speaks conference this summer. And during that trip together, you shared your upbringing with me that I never was aware of before that moment. So would you share this part of your story with listeners? Absolutely. So I grew up in a teeny little town in central Maine. It's called Abbott, Maine. (laughs) Population 600. So Mm. teeny. (laughs) Smaller than even Somerset. (laughs) Right. When people say Somerset is a small town, Mm. I'm like, "Mm, if only you knew, right? (laughs) 600 people. I went to school in a little, uh, little house on the prairie type of school where... It was a little schoolroom, multiple classrooms or multiple grades within a classroom, first and second grade together, third and fourth grade together. I grew up with very humble beginnings. Um, We were poor, very, very poor. My dad was a woodsman, which meant that he left early, early in the morning, like 4.30 in the morning, and he would travel hours to the woods of Maine, the northern woods. He worked for Scott Paper Company which still exists, <laughs> toilet paper. <laughs> Thank goodness. <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, he was a woodsman, my mom, a stay-at-home mom. And I remember, this is an example of how uh, poor we were. My mom would go to the grocery store and we would have a cart. And as we went through the grocery store, she would put whatever money we had in our bank account on a calculator in her purse. She would take it out of her purse she would turn it on. She would enter the amount of money we had. And every time she put an item inside the cart, she would deduct that from the total. And that would tell her how much money we would have for our groceries. 
for that week. Um, I was bullied as a child, the poor kid, <laughs> mm-hmm. the uninvited. I had a gap between my teeth. I was bullied for that as a teenager or a tween. I developed really quickly in fifth grade and I was bullied. Um, girls even went to the point of hanging a bra in the bathroom with tissue paper attached to it that said Trudy's bra. Mm. I never really felt like I fit in. Um, and so that was, that was a struggle. Uh, I can say that my kid, my mom and my dad, if they did one thing, the very best thing that they could do for me was to drop me off at church. Mm-hmm. They didn't go with me. I, when the church was able to purchase the van, I was the van drop off kid. And it was there that I found love I found Jesus, I found acceptance, and I found a safe place. Um, I actually, to this day, I have a painting in my living room of that church to remind me of Jesus's love and how God has provided for me um, all throughout my life, regardless of the circumstances. So is that when, going to that church, is that when you first became a believer? It is, yeah. You know, it's funny even though my home wasn't a Christian home, I don't remember a time when I didn't feel God's presence. I've, it's always been very heavy. I've always had this strong conviction of right versus wrong, this strong feeling of empathy toward others, um, a need to reach out to, to people, an ability to see a need, and a desire to fill it. So it wasn't until I was actually, I had come home from college. I went to school in Pennsylvania where I met my husband. I came home my freshman year. That summer, I was sitting in that very same church with my brother's girlfriend at the time. And after my pastor's sermon, he offered an invitation. And... It was the stereotypical Mm -hmm. (laughs) God calling, right? It was the stereotypical invitation. I felt his presence. I felt his direction. My brother's girlfriend put her hand on my leg and she asked me if it was time. And with tears in my eyes, I said, yeah, it's time. And she led me to the altar. Mm -hmm. And those, those church members that had loved on me when I was a child was able to witness, um, the seeds that they had planted. How did growing up in the way that you did shape your identity? Oof. Identity. <laughs> it's something I struggle with today, and I've been talking with so many friends in my circle who struggle with it as well. Who are we? What are we supposed to be doing? Are we fulfilling God's purpose? What does he want us to do? How can we be his hands and feet? Also, the negativity, how do we deal with the negativity in our head that tells us we're less than, that we're not enough, that, that we will never be. So identity is, is a process for me, and it has been, because all those years of rejection set me up for feelings of not fitting in, um, that there wasn't a place for me, and... So it's been a process of building a relationship with God and 
and relying on his scripture and his truths to weave their way inside my heart and, and take root. And in turn, also taking those negative thoughts captive. And I'll talk more about that later. But recognizing that negativity and the thoughts that are telling us that, you know, God really doesn't want you to do this. <laughs> Does he really? I know I often question God, do you really want me to do this? Uh, but taking those thoughts captive and, and just leaning in and reminding my, myself who I am in him every single day because it's a moment-by-moment thing. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it's been a process, and, and, and my relationship with God has definitely grown in that process, and I've been able to accept his love and his forgiveness and his redemption because of it. Yeah, I mean, this is a conversation you and I have a lot, and you help me um, believe in my identity, too. And so moving back to talking about, like, after um, you were younger and as you grew up, you became a teacher in an inner city school. So what was this experience like for you? Whew. <laughs> it was a tough one, but it was one of those experiences that I believe God put in my path for a reason at a time such as that, <laughs> because we didn't have children. I remember my mother-in-law and my father-in-law loading up the U-Haul, taking us to Philadelphia and dropping us off at our apartment. And at that point, my husband is not a crier. I could probably count on my one hand how many times I've seen him tear up. But at that moment, we sat in our apartment and we just cried <laughs> because we we both grew up in small towns and we were in the middle of a huge city and we had no guidance as to um, where we were to go from there. So teaching in inner city, it was tough. It was tough. The place that I taught was called um, earmuffs <laughs> for small children. It was called hell. Um it's near Temple in inner city Philadelphia. I taught 28 African-American students. For the majority of them, I was the only white person they had ever known. So they came into the classroom with you know, preconceived notions as to what to expect by me or from me. But I had the opportunity to love on them. And I took students who, in second grade, I taught second grade. In second grade, I taught... Um, I had students who came in may or may not know their ABCs, but I was able to see their growth and their reading, and I was able to celebrate them, and I was able to love on them and give them a love that they may not have at home. Um, the actual, the last week that I taught in school in Philly, there was a school shooting, and whew, that was hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we... I taught second grade. There was a child in our grade that was having a birthday party. Mom had hired a magician and a, um, she had pretzels made and we went out into the parking lot, which in hindsight wasn't the safest place to be. We were watching the magician. There were three classrooms there and the security guard ran up to the gate and said, get the kids in the building, get the kids in the building. 
And I was the first classroom out of the three to get my kids into the building and up to the second flight of stairs when I heard the gunshots go off. Mm. We made it to our classroom when I realized our lead teacher and my very dear friend was not behind us and I, some of her children were with me. We later found out that it was, it was stepdad who came to the birthday party with a gun and shot the biological dad in the street. And when the gun went off, my friend was 10 feet from the gunman and she threw her children onto the ground and um, laid there until the altercation was over and the police had come to arrest them. It was eye-opening. <laughs> mm, yeah. it, it was eye-opening, but I look back and I think about all the love that I got to share with these children. I got to pour into these these babies and and maybe flip the switch on who they thought I might be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I imagine giving them lots of hope and, um, yeah, it sounds like it mattered. Your time there mattered. So you are now a mother of four, three boys and one girl. And because of how you were raised, how did that shape your perspective on mothering your own children? <laughs> so this question makes me think of the the movie The Help, right? <laughs> when they when the the midwife or the um servant comes in and she loves on the little girl and she says, You is kind, you is smart, you is important. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I want my kids to know that they are important, mm-hmm. that they matter, that mommy loves them, and there's nothing that they can do to earn that love, that it's there. But above all that, as much as mommy loves them, God loves them more. And I know for me, <laughs> as a mother, that's unfathomable because mm-hmm. I, I, I adore They're my everything. children. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they, yeah. they are my world, and I know that's kind of silly to say, but they are... Uh, I, I just need them to know that that we have an open line of communication, whatever it is that they are going through, that they're cherished, they're valued, they matter, and we're going to celebrate every step along the way, and they may not get everything right, and, and in failure, there's an opportunity to learn and grow, um, and also, you know, that they have a foundation in Christ, and that we're raising arrows mm-hmm. so that they can point others to Jesus and all that they do. Mm, so good. Well, we talk a lot as friends about technology and our concerns for social media usage. And you are really passionate about this subject. And um, <laughs> that actually, you actually helped a, a man named Colin Karchner come to our community to speak to the middle school students and their parents. So what was your biggest takeaway message that you'd like women to hear today? Okay. (laughs) Yes. Social media and identity, right? It's Mm. a crisis, I feel like. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I'm very, very passionate about. Uh, Colin was amazing. I could give you a whole list of takeaways. I'll give you two. Can I give you two? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Two. So the reason for Colin Karchner's crusade, which is basically stop it, his, his motto is save the kids. Don't give them smartphones. Don't give them social media. Save the kids. And the reason this all began was because 
he had gone to a gas station one day and it's there that he stumbled upon a neighbor that had moved away 12 years prior. When he asked his neighbor about her daughter and how she was doing, the mother replied, she passed away two years ago. I gave her a loaded weapon and I didn't tell her how to use it. (laughs) A loaded weapon. And that was a cell phone. She had received a message over social media that she should just go and kill herself. So she did. Wow. Um, so with that, Colin, Colin decided to speak publicly. He's actually a TEDx speaker, so you can find that on YouTube. Um, he also talked about us as parents and how distracted we are. I'm guilty. Me too. I'm guilty too. <laughs> I'm guilty. Somewhere along the line, I've given my children the message that the notification on my phone is more important than them. Mm. And he challenged us as parents to to put them down and to make interaction a priority. And even more than that, to make touch, physical touch, a priority. And he, he said the average teen needs eight, eight-second hugs a day. Mm-hmm. And that really opened my eyes to see that, like, oh, my goodness, I don't think I hug my my children mm-hmm. that much yeah. like I hug them maybe once or twice in the morning in the afternoon when I get them home but eight mm-hmm. so it's kind of funny when we were at Meese Middle School I got I had the opportunity to see him speak with the the children there the students there and he related to them on a level that was it was so cool to see but when we left that auditorium there were so many children or so many students just loving on each other. And to this day, and it's been maybe a month or so since he's been here, <laughs> kids will go up and hug each other and they will count one, <laughs> two, all the way to eight. <laughs> so so the, he actually, he has a social media following on Instagram. It's kind of funny because he's anti-social media with regards to children having it. But he has an account and it's filled with just messages of how he has saved lives that students were going to commit suicide at a particular time or that day that he actually came and they decided not to because he was there so God is working in and through him and it's pretty cool to see yeah you know since I think you actually were the one I actually didn't get to see his message although I have watched his TED talk and Mm -hmm. I think you had told me about the eight second hugs eight times (laughs) and so literally now we sort of just do it in like one big like hug like 64 seconds (laughs) let's count to 64 (laughs) and um we're good for the day (laughs) right same and our husbands too it's not just our kids oh my gosh that's conviction if we if we don't hug them who will you know (laughs) right Amen. So you have also been into health and wellness for a very long time. And you're honest to say that you have had a weight struggle. And and I have too. So you can see, listeners, how Trudy and I are friends. We have a lot in common. So for the the woman listening that might be experiencing the same weight cycle in her life, how would you suggest that she find victory in this area? Okay. So... I want to say that your struggle, girl, you're not alone. That obviously Rachel and I, we have this struggle. It's a struggle that I've dealt with pretty much all my life. I've never been this skinny girl unless I was depriving myself. 
However, the struggle is in our weight. It's our heart position. Um, it's where we're seeking validation. Where is, where's that void? Like, what is it? Where are we seeking that worthiness and why? Where does, where does that emptiness come from? Like, what, why are we trying to fill it with a diet or a certain size or a certain image in the mirror? Um, so I want, I want to just challenge you to just pray that, that God just reveal that void, that pain point, that core hurt. What is it? And that's a process. That's not something that happens overnight. I promise you, girl, it does mm-hmm. not it's, it's a struggle. It's a battle. And where you're working with God, the enemy is working against you. But pray that God just reveal that to you. Like, what are these feelings? Where are they coming from? For me, it's rejection. For me, it's that I was a mistake, that I was an accident. And it was, it was the striving. It was the diet plan and the workout that if I finally looked this way, then so-and-so would accept me. Um, but that's fleeting, right? That's mm. fleeting. And that's enemy-led. That's enemy territory right there. So lay it down at the cross, girl. Just lay it down. And, 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 and that's hard. Um, diets, they're a thief of joy. They're a thief of your attention. I spent the last five or six years in one diet plan after another, and it stole my focus. And it's, I, I, we would go on vacation. I would take my scale. <laughs> mm-hmm. We went to Paris. I ate a crepe. That's all I ate there. Other than that, I went to the grocery store and I cooked my own meal. We were in Europe. In one of the most amazing places on the planet that I could possibly savor some food <laughs> that I would normally not get elsewhere. A crepe. That was it. And so I just decided I, I need to lay this down. It had become my idol. Mm-hmm. It had become my little G-God. I'm air quoting now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my little G-God. And God had really convicted me of that. It was September. It was Labor Day weekend. And I was just on my hands and knees in prayer, like, God, take this from me. Like, Because with dieting and with with the workout plan comes obsession and it and it steals your focus and it, it stole my time with my family. We you know, we'd go to Disney, but we couldn't go to Disney until mama worked out because daddy knew if mama didn't work out, like there was gonna <laughs> like, be as a if problem. The, as right? if the walking of all Disney wasn't enough. <laughs> right, exactly. <Yeah. laughs> like constantly striving and even at my lowest weight. It was never enough, mm-hmm. ever. It was never enough. I was always striving for more. And that's not God-led. God didn't put that in my heart. You know, when he created me in my mother's womb, he said, you were perfect. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. I know every hair on your head. You know, just lay it down. So, you know, he says that, that there's nothing you can do to make me love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make me love you less. So in that cycle of diet and binging and diet and binging, there's, you know, there's striving. And, and that's not of him. It, it's, it's not. So I just want to challenge you to just check your heart and, and, and maybe just peel back the layers and unpack that void and emptiness and where that might stem from and work through it and how, and you're not alone, you know, 
you're not alone. God is there with you, number one. Number two, you have us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you have sister friends. I know God has placed sister friends in your life to love on you through this. So you are not a slave to a diet or a workout plan, I promise. Mm. Amen. <laughs> so it, what practical tools have you found to help you have a more personal, not personal, positive body image? So just digging deep in scripture myself, and it's easy. I wanted to go back and I wanted to Google, like, I am a geek. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a geek. Teach me the ways and I'll do it. Um, No, um, I wanted to Google, who does God say I am? And then I was like, "Mm, no, I'm going to dig in scripture myself. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to read myself and those words that jump off the page Those are the ones that I'm going to write down. So what I started doing was writing those words on an index card, flipping it over, and then writing the verse that that verse appeared in and clipping it onto one of those little metal rings. And I have that in my office to remind me, like when I'm feeling less than, when I'm feeling the need at this point, like to go, it's hard right now. Diet culture is real. It's the beginning of the year. People are searching But going back to those words and who God has called me to do or to be and just reminding myself of those. Also, um, writing them, those words on your bathroom mirror with a dry erase marker. Mm -hmm. I I actually do that on my own mirror. My husband has his own mirror, so he doesn't have to to see redeemed, chosen, you know. Um, So writing that... Um, on your bathroom mirror, that's been helpful and worship music. I actually on Spotify have, I call it my God girl boss, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Spotify playlist. And I, when I run, I listen to it. And those songs are songs that tell me who I am in him. Um, a lot of Lauren Daigle, a lot of elevation worship, <laughs> a lot of Bethel, um, songs that just pump me up and remind me, um, that I, I'm enough already and there's nothing that I can do to improve or lo- make him love me more. Well, what about your soul image? What has helped you believe who God says you are? Okay, so let's talk. Let's get geeky here. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. So I love the theory of neuroplasticity. <laughs> oh, you really are going there. <laughs> do, you, do you know what neuroplasticity no. is? No. So it's the wiring of your brain, okay? So when you think negative thoughts, those thoughts are, I guess, um, reinforced over and over and over throughout the day if we do not take them captive, right? How many, we had an exercise where we had to write down, I was going through a challenge. It was a, it was a God girl challenge where you took those thoughts captive. You wrote down every single negative thought that you thought about yourself that particular day. So that's kind of eye-opening how many, (laughs) right? So neuroplasticity is the theory that you can recreate those negative thought processes, taking them captive. So for me, I realized I acknowledge the thought and sometimes I just say the word Jesus. I just say Jesus. And it stops there. Because if I let those negative thoughts run <laughs> wild in my head, <laughs> then I can paralyze myself. 
So um, just check your thought life. Um, Take out the judgment and fear. I know I am so guilty of judging myself all the time. Judging myself, judging my food choices, judging my size, judging um, the look in the mirror. Um, Are those thoughts, are they true? Are they noble? Are they kind? And if they're not, then they don't align with who God says you are. He says you're, you're an heir to his royal priesthood. That makes you a princess, justified, that you're fully known, you're set apart, you're called, you're chosen, you're his special possession, you're forgiven, and you're made new, created in his image, worthy, and held. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Yeah, can you repeat that list? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, I'll listen to this podcast again. <laughs> so, okay, so going from being a teacher to being a stay-at-home mom to all of your children now being in school, you have now shifted your focus to writing and ministry. So what does this new season of life look like for you? <laughs> so this may have been one of the hardest times in my life. (laughs) I was a stay-at-home mom for 14 years. I still am. When my youngest child went to school, it was a feeling of, who am I now? And I asked my husband, like, do you want me to go back to work? Because I can go back to work. And he's like, "Mm mm-mm, you got enough going on at home. (laughs) So, I am thankful that he he is very passionate about being the leader of our home and that, that he, he really enjoys being able to keep me at home. Um, but yeah, it, it was a difficult season. And I have to say, it was almost like I went into this season of who am I again? <laughs> again, mm-hmm. that identity. Mm-hmm. I no longer have to wipe butts, tie shoes. <laughs> <laughs> who is Trudy? What, you know, and mm-hmm. trying to seek and find validation in other things, but God is really calling me, Trudy, no, you just find rest. Like you've been working hard. So Tim told me, my husband, Tim, he has told me for a long time, I would say like, five years, you need to write a book. And I was like, "Mm, (laughs) I'm not an English major. Like, I don't know about anything about writing a book. Um, And it wasn't until I met Rachel in our subdivision one day and she, she had stopped me. I was running, she was walking and she was like, Hey, Trudy, um, have you rebranded yourself? And I was like, (laughs) I don't know, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and she invited me to She Speaks, which is a, a conference um, that Lisa Turkers puts on each year. It's her God promise that if she were to ever go big, that she would provide an opportunity for women who want to minister to other women in the form of writing. She would provide education for them in a conference and workshops and opportunities to meet publishers. But it was there that Rachel invited me, and I had actually been thinking about it. I don't know why I was thinking about it. Now I look back, and I know why I was thinking about it. It was one of those God whispers. Um, So we went to She Speaks, and oh my goodness. (laughs) I think Rachel can confirm that it was like, God's presence was heavy the moment we stepped out mm-hmm. of the vehicle. Maybe not. Maybe the moment we packed the vehicle at my house. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Um, the confirmations were there. And so I was provided with all these workshops and information 
on how to write and giving me direction. And I just went to the conference as like, I'm just new here. I don't know what I'm doing. Like God just point me to the right, in the right direction and, and I will do it. I'm willing and I'm able. So it was there that we, we accidentally sat at a table at one of the dinners and it was called table 44. And to this day we call it table 44 and where God divinely appointed these relationships of women who, um, who are in the process of writing, who have written books already. Some of them actually have published books. It was just a really cool way of God just confirming that I was there in the right place, that he had put people in my path to see me through this journey. And that, you know, while I can't see the end point right now, um, taking the next right step is where I need to be and that these women would champion behind me and push me along the way. So I have a new website. It's launching in March. I'm excited about that. I have a vlog on YouTube. I've been blogging. Uh, my goal is to write a devotional for teen girls and their moms to help them reclaim their relationship and help reclaim those identities and build a foundation in Christ. Well, tell us a little bit more about your heart for teen girls. So, Why do you think that this gender and this generation is so dear to your heart? Okay, well, you know, God. (laughs) There's that. There's that. (laughs) Two reasons, okay? So one, I was that girl, you know, and to to a point, I still am that day, or Mm -hmm. this day. I'm Mm -hmm. still this day trying to figure out who I am, what God wants me to do, and... um, but just, I'm that girl who used to feel rejected, not worthy, uninvited, overlooked, bullied, you know, an accident, a mistake. I connect with these girls because I see their pain and I know their solution and that that's Jesus. And, and I, I just, I have a passion for showing them love in that way. And number two, I'm raising a girl mm-hmm. and I want her to know um, that she is loved. And, you know, even at 10 years old, she's already dealing with these bullying things going on at school. And even though she doesn't have social media, somehow <laughs> people are, you know, making fake accounts in her name. And so I feel, I feel like God is just preparing me to raise her. So in that goal of writing a devotional, I get to walk that out with her. She gets to be my guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Jesus, he calls us again. He calls us to, to love on the least of these. And, and so um, I, just, I just have this heartache for the teens that are struggling today. It's a different world that we live in. You know, when I was bullied, I went home and I could get away from it. These girls, mm, not so much. They get to go home and they get to scroll their social media and they get to see the filtrated version of the next best skinny girl. Um, they get to see that they weren't invited to certain parties. And it's in it, the anxiety and depression that is happening because of all this is just, it's heartbreaking. So if I can do anything to solidify their identity or to redirect their attention to a fulfillment that only God can give, then then that's my ultimate purpose, I think. You know, even at our age, 
we're talking about identity and how that's difficult. So mm-hmm. to even to think about how they can handle it as a team mm-hmm. and as a tween. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, yeah, it's it's an issue really throughout our lives. But mm-hmm. you, you mentioned earlier your, your blog, or you actually said your vlog, but you also <laughs> say your blog uh-huh. um, is the titled The Intentional Family. So how have you put this vision for your family to practice, um, practically speaking? Okay, so it's it's easy to get caught up in the schedule of overwhelm. Mm-hmm. You know, I have four kids, mm-hmm. and four kids mean <laughs> all the activities, the soccer, the basketball, the dance, the academic teams. But my husband and I both have a passion to guard our family time. And and that could be as simple as driving to a basketball game in one vehicle. <laughs> right. um, it, you know, it's it's taking taking your schedule and just stepping back and saying, like, how can we be purposeful in our conversations? How my my oldest, he's an he's an introvert. If I could just let him stay in his room and read a book you know, (laughs) all the days of his life, he would be happy. He has a t-shirt that says books because reality is overrated. (laughs) So, you know, we have to bring him down to the family room and we'll, we'll say like, you don't, you can sit here and read your book, but (laughs) you know, you're going to be present with us. Um, we don't want them to feel like they're ever alone. Um, but Recently, my husband and I, we, <laughs> we've gotten into this book called How to Raise an Adult, and that's by Julie Lycott Hames, and she talks about helicopter parenting in the millennial generation and how um, we've kind of just coddled our children and we do everything for them. So it's, you know, being intentional is just equipping our children for the world to handle it on their own. And it's so tempting to do it for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not just helicopter, but lawnmower. Lawnmower, right? right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I was finding that even at 14, my oldest is 14, he would go to school and forget his lunch. And I would bring his lunch to him because he's vegetarian and there aren't vegetarian options at school. So I would feel guilty, mom guilt, right? Mm-hmm. And I would bring him lunch. And I finally got to a point where I was like, you know what, Parker, (laughs) I'm getting you up at 645. You have plenty of time. So if you want to, um, pack your lunch, you can, if not, I'm sorry, you're going to have to eat school lunch and you're going to have to figure it out. And that was hard. I did not want to see him go hungry, but that's his choice. And (laughs) He still chooses to not pack his lunch. <laughs> <Does he> really? <laughs> yeah. I'll starve instead. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, well, so this season, I'm asking my guests who has loved them well in their life and how did that person love you well? So Trudy, who first comes to mind for you? Okay, so this is hard. <laughs> it is a hard question. Because in this, you know, in... In my whole lifespan, I can look back now and see where God provided people who were glimpses of light, Mm. who provided a safe place, who, um, you know, sometimes love is not an action. Sometimes it's a posture, right? You know you're accepted based on someone's body language. And... But if I had to choose one, (laughs) it would be my aunt, Laura. And I called her Artie. 
um, because they couldn't say auntie, so I called her Artie. Mm, (laughs) I know, right? She was my mom's sister, and she passed away three years ago. She was my mom's sister. Uh, She was 19 when I was born. She couldn't have children of her own, so she kind of adopted me. Uh, I would spend summers there up in the wee... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> in the wee area, forest areas of Maine. It was in the middle of nowhere. Sometimes you'd have electricity. There was no phone line. It was all like ham radio. And so I would spend summers and school vacations there. And it's there that I would sit for hours on the porch with my aunt and my uncle and watch the storms go by. And I felt wanted. I felt appreciated and cherished, cherished. Um safe, invited, um, and their love was unconditional. They didn't make me feel like I needed to earn it in any sort of way. So, yeah. (laughs) So you said something interesting just now Mm -hmm. that I don't know that I've ever heard. You said love isn't always an action, but it can be a posture. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? So when you look into someone's eyes, you can almost immediately feel like you belong. Mm-hmm. You know, is it, and there's almost, when you don't, that's obvious too, a, a feeling of judgment. Mm-hmm. Or uninterested. Or, or yeah. Yeah. Or, huh. Yeah. It's almost like I, I see you. And mm-hmm. it reminds yeah. me of like how Hagar calls God the God who sees mm-hmm. and like his posture of love towards us. That was interesting. I've never heard that before. I love that. <laughs> Um, so, so how can listeners keep in contact with you? Like, how can we follow you? Okay. On Facebook, I am Trudy Lineski. And on Instagram, you can find me at Trudy underscore Lineski. And I do have my blog at www.trudylineski.com. Okay. And I will include all those links in the show notes as well as all of the great quotes. And, um, but Trudy, just thank you so much for being my guest today. And more than anything, thank you for being my friend and someone I can live out my faith alongside. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you all so much for tuning into today's episode with Trudy Lineski. Y'all, don't you just love her? You can see why I am friends with her. And now she's your friend too. So be sure to follow her on TrudyLineski.com. If you're interested in today's show notes, you can head on over to at Rachel Adams Author on Instagram or on Facebook. Next week, my guest is Chelsea Dematis. I had the privilege of being on her podcast several months ago. And after getting to know her, I could not wait to have her on my podcast. And so she actually is the host of Living With Less. And so that's what we talk about. She shares her testimony and how she is applying that concept to her life. So I hope you will make plans to listen to that episode next week. And until then, I hope you have a terrific week. And as always, I hope that you continue to lead with love.